Hello and welcome to the One Football Podcast. England are out, the Moroccan dream lives on, and I'm already looking forward to club football returning. Joining myself today, Matt Froelich, are Dan Burke. Hello. And Lewis Ambrose. Good morning. I almost cocked up that intro, didn't I? A little bit of a cough <laughs> in my throat just then. <clears throat> Too much screaming at the telly on Saturday night, but we'll get on to that in a second. Um, we're going to review some World Cup quarter-final action Four massive games over the weekend from Friday and Saturday. Um, we'll start in chronological order. Croatia, Brazil, penalties. 4-2 win for Croatia. Um, take it back to extra time though, Dan. When Neymar scored, was that a bit too scripted and inevitable uh, that, that he'd be the guy to lead Brazil through? Or did you always think that Croatia could mount a comeback? I didn't think Croatia were going to come back, to be honest. I mean, I was I was a bit disappointed with Brazil in this game because I'd watched them throughout the tournament and thought they were by far the strongest team at the World Cup. Thought they were going to go on to, to win it and, and beat all before them. And then uh, I thought they were really, really poor in this game. Actually didn't get going at all in the in the 90 minutes. Didn't see any of that sort of class that we associate with them. No nice interplay, no um, good chances, really. Just nothing, there was nothing there. And then you saw the first, probably the first bit of, of good play in the whole the whole match for them came when Neymar scored that goal. Was it Lucas Paqueta that he played a little one-two with on the edge of the box? Yeah. And he rounds the goalkeeper and, and puts it in. And I thought, there we go. There's a there's a bit of that Brazil magic we've been missing all day. Uh, that'll that'll be enough for them to get through. And then, uh, yeah, uh, a little uh, little twist in the tail at the end and, and Croatia get through on penalties again. So, yeah, fair play to Croatia. Disappointing for Brazil because I thought they, they didn't show up, unfortunately. And uh, it's, it's a little bit sad that they're out now, that we won't get to watch them again because they have been enjoyable at this tournament. But... Uh, that's uh, that's tournament football for you. Oh, clearly, you're obviously not impressed with Brazil. Uh, but what about you, Lewis? Did you think over the course of the tournament they gave enough? What else could they have done? Because we spoke about their attacking talent and all the depth they've got. But realistically, you can only have four on the pitch at once, right? You're not going to go like a one-one-eight tactic just for the laughs. laughs. Well, no. Um, well, they had five on the pitch most of the time with Paqueta. You know, Pakatar and Neymar sort of ahead of Casemiro in midfield and then the front three, if you like. So, yeah, you can't do much. You obviously can't do much more than that. I thought mm. the... I, I agree with Dan that they were great throughout the tournament. And then I just didn't really agree with some of the changes on, you know, against Croatia. Everything's not going to click all the time. And I thought Anthony coming on for, for Rafinha was sort of very like for like and it wasn't whatever was going on already wasn't working the same maybe with uh, Rodrigo and Vinicius on the left and you know I'm a bit biased as an Arsenal fan but I thought it was a bit strange to maybe make those changes and not use Gabriel Martinelli who had not done enough to definitely not enough to sort of start instead of Vinicius or or Rafinha during the tournament but it looked really lively when he'd come on off the bench in in all the previous games and when he started against Cameroon as well so yeah, I think the changes could have been different, but yeah, the Brazil didn't create much. They also came up against the goalkeeper who was saving pretty much everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, it took Neymar dancing around him in the end to to actually beat him. It ended up smashing the ball into an empty net. Everything that was on target that Livakovic was actually in front of just ended up hitting him. So uh, I thought Brazil were quite poor in the first half and Better in the second half. I, I just, I, I'm amazed Croatia in a semi final because <laughs> I think there's been, I don't think 2018 was that much different. I just haven't seen that much offered from them at all, but they just sort of stay in games somehow. Sometimes they deserve to. Sometimes from Lukaku just misses three sitters. Uh, you know, they could have been out in the group stage very, very easily. They had a horrible game against Belgium. 
Uh, Japan were probably the better team for sort of at least definitely for the first half and went ahead in that first knockout game. And now Brazil were the better team in the quarterfinal and go home on penalties as well. So, yeah, like I, I don't think there's that much to criticize with Brazil, to be honest. I, I don't think they were bad. I don't think this was like a dreadful performance where they didn't show up or anything. I think they were good for pretty much the whole tournament. And then they played a quarterfinal where they were the better team, but didn't take enough chances to win. Do you think some of their players are too similar then? So there is no sort of change. I'm trying to think of the most brutish Brazilian forward and I can't think of one since Julio Baptista or Fred. I wonder if the loss of Gabriel Jesus was perhaps a bit mm-hmm. um, more serious for them than we imagined really because he offers something that perhaps a lot of them don't, a bit more sort of robustness, a bit bit more hard working, a little less of a sort of fancy Dan, isn't he, Gabriel Jesus? And I wonder if him having to go home early. Was, um, was a, was a big Are you a fancy Dan on the football pitch? No, I'm not gonna... actually. No, my my, I do not live up to my name. Yeah, I'm no nonsense, Dan. <laughs> I'm not sure you could be a Brazilian centre half with a name like No Nonsense Dan. It doesn't quite work I don't out. They've got Fred up front a few years ago. So those are the two types of Brazilian footballer, right? You either you're either called Ronaldinho or Neymar, or you're Fred or I don't Fred. know. Joe. The current midfielder, Fred. Um, yeah. <laughs> oh, Joe, that's a throwback. Yeah, don't remind me about that guy. I, I think you've got a point though, Dan. I think I think Gabriel Jesus was... He obviously would have come on um, when they were struggling mm. to create anything. And, and Richarlison's done a really good job the whole tournament, but he's not a, a sort of a natural centre forward, if you like. He doesn't tend to play up there. And he's done really well over the past few years for Brazil, but Gabriel Jesus has really important when they won the Copper America a few years ago. Works unbelievably hard, holds the ball up, brings others into the game. So, yeah, you do, especially with Croatia sort of sitting back and, and you need to sort of pick the lock a little bit, that combination play and ability to, to hold the ball up. I think you're definitely onto something. Do you think this is probably me just spouting a lot of nonsense off the top of my head? But I know we talk about it, I think we talked about a lot with England, about the fact that there's a lot of players playing different systems, playing in different teams. Do you think the bigger and more successful individual players are within a a brilliant footballing nation like Brazil, the more difficult it is to combine them at international level? Because individually, they're all the stars of their own team at club level. So bringing them all together becomes really, really difficult. But... But they weren't bad, though, were they? Like we're talking about yeah. them now. Like that's almost that's almost suggesting for me that they that they Brazil were bad. Uh, well, you're they saying were really that they good didn't quite pick the lock or, or link up. But I mean, Manchester City don't pick the lock in every single game they play mm. when they play together every week. I, I just think, yeah, especially at a tournament like this, and we'll talk about England France obviously later yeah. as well. Um, I, I just think sometimes. Sometimes it's really hard for people to accept, but the team that was better didn't win, and, and mm-hmm. there's no like, and there's no need to sort of say, "Oh, like rip it all up," and they they should have yeah. done it completely differently. Sometimes the team plays better football than the opposition, but don't win. Uh, you know, maybe a, a dodgy bounce. Uh, Croatia had one shot on target. I think 120 minutes. It was deflected as well. Yeah. If you're playing a World Cup quarterfinal and the opposition has one shot on target in 120 minutes, you didn't do very much wrong. Yeah. 
Ah, just a thought. Throw no, it out so, no, no, it's, it's the nature of sort of tournament knockout football, though, isn't it? You can have the best players and you can, you know, it's difficult to kind of hone a system and really sharpen it up mm. during the during the course of a World Cup or, or a, you know, a European Championships or whatever. And it does come down to a bounce of the ball sometimes. And that's what this was. Brazil, you know, weren't sort of firing on all cylinders against Croatia, but they, they were the better team, as, as Lewis said. And it just came down to that deflected effort going in and then them getting knocked out on penalties, you know, like you said, the script seemed to be that Neymar was going to give them that uh, that winning goal in, in stoppage time and they'd go in and, and get the job done and uh, it just didn't happen. And, and it, it's heartbreaking for them that go, they're going home because I think they really wanted to win this World Cup yeah. and a very good chance of doing so. But um, that's football, boys. <laughs> As if they didn't know already. Yeah. Now that's confirmed it. That is tournament <laughs> football. Um, are, we, are we maybe kind of, when we talk about the big, exciting players, Dan, are we maybe neglecting the fact that a lesser performance or only having one shot or being very defensive might actually be a smarter move in tournament football if it's not that interesting. I mean, it'd be easy for us to say, ah, oh, Croatia got through, you know, playing crap, not not contributing <laughs> much, but they're no, you still can't, through. You can't say only one having one shot is a smart move. <laughs> no, no, but this is what this is what I'm saying. But in, what I'm saying is instead of going out there to entertain, to take the game to another team, should we be crediting them more by not obviously going out there overtly to try and beat Brazil. I think, I mean, we'll talk about Morocco and I think like, mm. I, I wouldn't put Morocco and Croatia in the two same categories because I, I think, you know, I think Morocco defended brilliantly, um, not just against Portugal, but Spain and the group games as well. They've, they've conceded one own goal in the entire tournament. Mm. Uh, I'd, if your goalkeeper's making 10 saves, I don't think you've got, and you're having one shot, I don't think you've got much of a master plan that, that deserves yeah. <laughs> enormous amounts of credit. I think, you know, the goalkeeper's had a stormer, the other team haven't taken their chances, and then you've your one shot has, has deflected and gone in. Mm. Like, I think Morocco, like, for that point, I think uh, Morocco are a great example of, like, solid, smart, defensive football. But I don't, I, I didn't, personally, I didn't see that from Croatia. I, you know, I saw a team where their goalkeeper had a great, great game and that was about it. I think, I think I know what we're going to say when we make match predictions for Croatia Argentina <laughs> later. Uh, but actually, touching on the goalkeeper, he, this wasn't just his first brilliant game. It was fantastic in the last 16 as well. Um, I don't want to sound too disrespectful. Dan to Dinamo Zagreb, where he, the 27-year-old currently plays. But can you see him being a top of a few teams' list for a January transfer? There's always one World Cup star who comes off the back of a World Cup, and everyone's absolutely mad for them. Yeah, yeah. Well, Bayern Munich need a goalkeeper, don't they? After uh, Manuel Neuer's uh, skiing exploits, so maybe they might be in the market for him as a, a mm. sort of I don't know, maybe a short-term signing. Just well, just one Neuer recovers from his injury, um, that might be an option for them. It'd be. Interesting to see if he ends up being one of the sort of El Hajj Juve of this tournament that ends up there ends up being a bit of a clamour about it. Yeah. There's always there's always one or two, isn't it? Like you say, and uh, yeah, he, he looked very good, very solid. He's spent his whole career at Dynamo Zagreb. I think he's 27 now, which is sort of approaching the peak of a goalkeeper's years, if not if not at the peak. So um, now will be a good time for him to, to take that step up, and he's given a really good account of himself. He's uh, you know certainly a goal, goalkeeper you'd like to have it on your side if you go into a penalty shootout. So um, mm. yeah. So let's uh, let's see if anyone snaps him up. And uh, and finally, touching on this game, Chicha. I think I pronounced that right every time <laughs> I get it wrong. Chicha, the Brazilian coach, has left. Uh, Carlo Ancelotti was mentioned earlier. I believe Real Madrid have the option to extend for a further year, but his original contract does run out in the summer of 2023, so in six months' time. Uh, is that a good deal for both parties? Ancelotti stepping into international management. 
Um, I think it would be. I think it would be great for him. It's the one thing I guess he's not done and he's not achieved. Um, and to go and like that's got to be tempting for any manager, right? The mm. chance to to coach Brazil in twenty twenty six. It would be twenty four years since Brazil won a World Cup. The the chance to sort of end that is sort of as mythical as football gets, probably. And so for him, I think it would be great for Brazil. Carlo Ancelotti has proven it over and over again. How fantastic he is. Um, if you talk, if you want to talk about how to squeeze as many stars into a team and the egos don't get in the way and you you get all of them performing, well, he's nailed that for the last twenty odd years. So, um, yeah, maybe not so good news for such good news for Real Madrid, but I'm sure you know at some point they'll obviously want to move on and, and take a, a different step as well. No one ever sticks at Real Madrid too long in the dugout, so mm. I, I it definitely this one. It would make a lot of sense to me, I think. Yeah, the other one that's mentioned, been mentioned is Pep Guardiola. Obviously, he's just signed a new contract with City, so he's he's not going anywhere for the, the next couple of years. But who knows, maybe in a couple of years, that might be a good job for him. I think he does fancy a bit of international management, but I don't know if Brazil would be a good fit for him. I think I feel like he would sort of hate how sort of flamboyant and maverick they all are. And yeah, guys, I guys, I told you to stand here. You're standing there. Like, what the hell's going on? Like, I think it would... Driving nuts. Uh, that would be such a bad fit. There's too many <laughs> Mavericks in that Brazil squad for Guardiola. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Actually, talking randomly of managers, I saw that obviously Roberto Martins left Belgium. Vincent Company was linked with them the other day. Mm. After what is this? Three months at Burnley. Oh, Why would he leave the Bel- Clarets? It's just sort of like, oh, he's he's Belgian. <laughs> That's what it feels like. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, honestly, I'm not sure if I've got any Belgian roots. I might get the <laughs> uh, right. We'll move on to Netherlands against Argentina the Friday evening affair. Which uh, honestly, I'm I'm putting it up there my top five World Cup games I've ever seen. I thought absolutely incredible. <laughs> um, Dan, you asked me last time if I thought Argentina conceding late to Australia was a worry that they can have lapses of concentration. I said no, nothing to worry <laughs> about for Argentina fans. But lo and behold, they did. They did exactly that in the two-all draw. Um, I think you're onto something, but what exactly is it? What's what's the issue here? I mean, I've I've thought from sort of day one really that this Argentina team is a little bit top heavy. They've got a lot of attacking talent, but defensively, I'm just not that convinced by them. Really, I'm not convinced by Nicolas Otamendi, and never have been. You know, not not that convinced by by just them as a defensive unit. Really, defend the way they, they work without the ball. The kind of pressing from the front isn't particularly brilliant so th- there's always been a bit of a bit of a weakness there a bit of an Achilles heel which which kind of came to the fore in this game but it was another one a bit like Brazil where it looked like it was uh you know going up going very smoothly for them they, they'd been the better team um without playing particularly brilliantly I've not been that impressed with Argentina at any any time I've watched them during this tournament aside from the odd moment from from Messi or Enzo Fernandez or Julian Alvarez here and there I don't think as a team they've really sort of set the world alight at this tournament really so um it seemed like yeah they were getting through this tie with uh, with minimal fuss and then uh, the the uh, firecracker that is Wout Veghorst was thrown into the the mix and uh, all hell broke loose didn't it? Do you think it's a bit weird to see Argentina line up with a back five in a World Cup quarter final? Kind of goes against everything Argentinian that I've ever thought. Yeah, were they trying uh, to did, mirror the, Netherlands a little bit there or something? Maybe I guess or? I guess so. They played a back five when when they won it with Maradona in eighty six. Um, oh, there you go, like, top knowledge I, there. I think. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe, maybe I think Argentina. There are two sides of Argentina for me, and there's like the there's always sort of the Messi, Raquel, May, Maradona, and then everyone else to me is sort of quite. It's it's quite you know, 
celebrating in the faces of the opposition on the halfway line yeah. after a penalty shootout win. So I like I I, I can kind of see it. I think the, <laughs> the the back five and like this this grit and aggression. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know if it worked. I, Did you say it worked? I, they were in complete <laughs> control of the game. I just felt like they lost their heads completely. Like mm. they started. They started behaving like the game wasn't going their way for some reason, and like you would always expect the team that's two 0 down to be the one that then starts picking yeah. a fight. I didn't really understand what they, why they thought they had to do that, or, or why they got so tense and riled up. I think that there's always uh, I don't know what the word for it is, but it's always funny when the winning team complains about the ref. <laughs> Because then you always think, why are you complaining? You've won, man. <laughs> and then you're like, well, this referee must have been crap if even the winning team hates him. Because uh, that is exactly what Emmy Martinez did, Lionel Messi, after the game. Um, but before we get onto the referee, Lewis, you touched on it briefly there. I wanted to ask, is there complaining? Is that, you know, celebrating in the face of the Netherlands after winning the penalty shootout? Is it all part of the shithousery for you? And do you enjoy it? Or is it just plain disrespectful? I have absolutely no problem with <laughs> uh, like 120 minutes of a World Cup quarterfinal. You've conceded an equaliser in the 100th minute. The Dutch players are shoving Lautaro Martinez around and following him up to the penalty spot and stuff. Of course, there's going to be, you know, a bit of to do at the at the mm. end of the game when the result's in the bag. Like, I, honestly, I have absolutely no problem to like if people want everyone to like emotionlessly shake mm. hands at the end of that, then I don't really understand what they're watching. <laughs> like, I'm, who ca- I'm who all cares? on board. Like, I don't think the Dutch were particularly respectful. I don't. I don't think there was any love or respect between the two teams, generally speaking. Um, yeah, I I think it's a strange thing to complain about. Like, uh those are pretty much like the heights of, of of emotion that I don't think any of us will ever actually understand uh, <laughs> a, a World Cup quarterfinal penalty yeah. shootout. Um, you know, when for two hours all the players have been doing is trying to get under each other's skin, and then it's just like this this momentous release of emotion at the very end. I've got no issues with it at all. I I, I, I played eight aside in Argentina once in just a sort of friendly kickabout that it was supposed to be really with a load of Argentinians. And that was like, you know, the, the famous Bill Shankly quote, um, football's not a matter of life and death. It's far more important than that. That's what it was like that night. They were at each other's throats all game and like people were nearly in tears at the end of the game and stuff like that. So, you know, that, that's an eight aside friendly kickabout. Imagine what a World Cup semi-final, quarterfinal <laughs> is going to be like for them. It's, uh, yeah. Surprise I, what, so, uh, what was the score in the game, by the way, when Paredes booted the ball at the Dutch bench? That was, was amazing. 1-0 like to Argentina at the two, time. 2-1? Two, 2-1, two, two, yeah. So it, think, that was like yeah. the big flashpoint, yeah. wasn't it, I think? And then... Brilliant. I, I, I can sense a series coming along here. No nonsense, Dan, by South America. <laughs> yeah. It's just you playing in various football games around the continent, <laughs> just with such a brutish style of play. That game that went to penalties as well, actually. Yeah. <laughs> did, you, did you step up? I was, I was in goal. I saved two penalties and we still lost, yeah. Oh, oh, oh that's tragic. <laughs> oh, my word. Uh, I completely agree with you, by the way, Lewis. Um, and calling it a to-do is the nicest thing I've ever <laughs> heard. I would have used so many, so many uh, non-podcast-friendly words, let's call them. I was, uh, was going to say, I just forgot if we could swear or not, so I thought <laughs> I'd go with that instead. <laughs> I literally just said shithousery. And again, <laughs> oh, right, yeah. shit. Yeah, true. <laughs> um, I wanted to talk about the free kick, you know, the equaliser. I cheered as if I was the biggest Dutch fan in the world when that went so, in. <laughs> Unbelievable. Lewis, is this one of the great World Cup moments that we'll look back on? 
I I couldn't believe that they even tried that. Like I know, like you know, you know when you're watching a team and like obviously it's not usually the hundredth and hundred and first minute anyway. You know when you're watching someone and they really need a goal and the centre backs get up for a corner and then the corner goes short and everybody goes mad. Yeah, to do it in the hundred and first minute of a World Cup quarter final from a free kick. On like, the edge of the box as well, where you yeah, can like shoot a, a free easily. Kick in a, in a, like definitely in a shooting position. Like, can you imagine an Argentinian player just like nipped out the wall and intercepted that? Like, the, the an entire oh. nation would have gone postal, <laughs> but them not having a shot from the free kick. It's like, yeah, I it, to me that's what it was. It was like the an incredibly extreme version of taking a short corner when you need a goal, and. I, it's amazing that that came off. Uh, <laughs> I also love the idea that they had this up their sleeve for every yeah, other free and kick they, they didn't got in the use game. It. But, but they yeah. waited until the very last moment to actually. <laughs> like, I'm sure there was a free kick five minutes earlier, or, or you know, like, there was, like yeah. not not much, uh, not much earlier than that. Probably even less than five minutes. And you know, they they did the sensible thing and shot from the free kick. But they could have tried it then. But they were like, no, no, we might need this. In a few minutes, let's say we'll keep that in the back pocket just in case we get another one. Who plans for a hundred and first minute free kick? <laughs> I, I, it's just it's mind blowing. I love I love that it was the Netherlands though, at that sort of Dutch reinvention of mm-hmm. the simple things of football. Brilliant. I was watching it with a few mates, and literally in that second that he passed it, I went jumped up and went, "Oh, why is he passed it?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're, you were the guy. You were the guy complaining <laughs> about the short corner. I just, I, I, yeah, and I hate short corners. Like last minute, get everyone in the box and just. It's oh funny though, like God. you, you see pretty much every single free kick scenario, that opportunity is probably there that, you know, there's usually someone mm. just standing slightly to the left, to the side of the wall or just behind the wall. Like the opportunity to play a short free kick is there. And um, it always like confuses me why people don't do it so much. And maybe, maybe this will set a trend and more people will, will start trying it. But the, to have the presence of mind to do that mm. at that moment in time and the, the balls to do it was incredible, yeah. You'd look stupid, though. Like like Lewis said, if someone yeah. nips in and clears it, you'd be like, what yeah. a twat. Something to try when you're three or four nil up, probably. Not yeah. it's, when but it's, but uh, it's, not like, it's not like free kicks go in like one like 50% of the time anyway, though, is it? Like, yeah. Maybe, maybe if everybody did this all the time, or like yeah. obviously not all the time because you'd see it coming, but maybe if teams did this sort of once every couple of games, Games, they'd actually score more from free mm. kicks because I don't know there. Are, I'm sure there are teams in the Premier League that haven't scored a free kick all season, mm. um, and teams would have to think multiple. think more about how to defend them and perhaps you know change up change that up a little yeah. bit. It might, might well, there was that brilliant the uh, England against Argentina in '98. Argentina pulled off an absolute worldly <laughs> lot of routine, and I think it was Zanetti, Z- Zanetti who yeah. ended up smashing it in. I don't, I don't was, know if you saw. Oh. I don't know if you saw on. Um, on Friday night, but it was there was a video going around Twitter, and the German commentator mentioned it um, as well. But Veghorst has scored like that before, uh, playing for Wolfsburg a couple of years ago. Uh, it just like in, it was like the seventeenth minute of a Bundesliga game or something. <laughs> so nowhere near the you know. I think it was nil nil in the seventeenth minute, and, and they took a freaky. But he's been on the end of that and and sort of swivelled and put the ball away before, which is and maybe maybe not a coincidence that they did that with him on the pitch if he's actually pulled that off successfully. To to completely burst the Netherlands bubble, I read the report that said it shouldn't have stood. Oh, really? You saw this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So as the ball was passed to um, Veghorst, Luke de Jong moves out the way. He sort of just angles his body to let the ball run past. But de Jong is within three metres of the wall. 
He's literally <laughs> stood next to the wall, which I think it's three meters is the rule. Whatever it is to stop yourself barging in, like there was no contact from Diong to push the wall, but he was within the distance. So it. it can you imagine the? Been... Can you imagine VAR trying to cancel that goal? <laughs> yeah, just the hundred yeah. first minute equalizer. <laughs> yeah, it would. So yeah, but anyway, it wasn't cancelled. It was brilliant. Uh, but very lastly on that game, Dan, I just wanted to see what you thought of referee. I think it's Mateo Laos. 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 I think it's Laos. Yeah, yeah. Laos. La uh, the Spaniard who was was that bad that he's now been sent <laughs> home. Um, was he that terrible? I mean, the seventeen yellow cards and one red card to Denzel Dumfries would suggest yes. Um, or was he just in sort of dishing out absolutely everything? The 128th minute Denzel Dumfries red <laughs> yeah, card. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, well, I mean, my Twitter timeline on on uh, Friday night was full of City fans going, is this the referee that Guardiola hates? Because Guardiola absolutely despises Lajos. <laughs> and it's like been public about it many, many times and stuff. And uh, yeah, we had, he had a shocker of a game. We had that, a weird kind of game where he both wasn't letting the game flow and also not giving the obvious fouls. It was just the most like frustrating yeah. sort of incompetent refereeing decision you can imagine and he's you know perhaps the perfect example of a referee who seems to be under the impression that people are tuning in to watch him more than anything <laughs> yeah. like you know um the sort of spanish mike dean you might call him although i think that's a bit offensive to mike dean so yeah not not a great performance from him uh, i thought he sort of lost control of the game but was it the worst refereeing performance of the weekend i'm not so sure about that either probably not it's actually a shame that we're moving yeah. on to talk about two games where refereeing is a big part of it but <laughs> the first one is morocco against portugal Dan, I just want to know if you saw this one coming after what they did against Spain. To be honest, no, because mainly because I've been pretty impressed by Portugal at the World Cup. You know, I, I wasn't expecting an awful lot from them going into it and they sort of confounded expectations. We're playing some really nice football. You know, uh, Fernando Santos had made the, the bold call to drop Ronaldo and that seemed to have, have worked brilliantly with uh, with Goncalo Ramos scoring the hat-trick in the last game against Switzerland. And then... Um, yeah, a little, a little bit like Brazil, perhaps to a more, a more extreme example, was that they just didn't show up on the day. And, you know, Morocco were excellent, defended brilliantly well, but you just didn't see it, much creation from from Portugal at all. And, uh, yeah, I think they were deservedly beaten in the end. And it's uh, bit of a bit of a shame that how their tournament kind of frittered out in that way. But, yeah, it was the, the Morocco story continues and everyone's loving that, aren't they, I think? Yeah, it's, I found it very, very odd how teams were so hot and cold. It reminded me of Spain. Like, was it seven against Costa Rica? And then they were terrible against Germany and drew one all. Yeah. Like how Portugal saw six last week against <laughs> Switzerland and just look absolutely dead out on their feet this week. Um, but like you said, a lot of credit to Morocco. Lewis, what's their secret? Aside from being underestimated, which I think France would be silly to do now, like what actually makes them so good? I, 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 I mean, they were a really good football team. Um, <laughs> like, I, I think they're really organised. I, I, I don't, I wouldn't pick a player that was that mm. looks like a weakness. Really, um, I, I think they're defensive. It's really nice nowadays, actually, to see I mean, pretty much everybody plays the same way. All, all of the teams that win, you look at, you know, I don't know, the, the top of the Premier League, or you watch Champions League games, and everyone kind of has the same rough ideas. Uh, to see a team pull off. A, a, you know, a run like this because they're defensively excellent. Um, you know, we've not seen that for a while. I don't think at the very top, Mourinho's stopped competing at that level. Diego Simeone's Atletico have stopped being able to do it. So it's the first time for for quite a while for me. I just think they're they're really really well organised defensively. I think Sofian Amrabat's been been one of the players of the tournament in midfield, just playing between like a you know four one four one, and he's playing as the the holding midfielder between the defence and the midfield, 
and just plugging any gap that appears. You know, the the fullbacks go forward and and he'll sweep outside. One of the centre back uh, centre midfielders ahead of him pushes on to to join the attack or to press, and he sort of plugs that gap right in front of him. I just think they're defensively really well organised. I think they do it without. They don't just sit on the edge of their own box either. And you know, they they weren't. This wasn't like let Portugal spam crosses into the box and we'll just head all of them away. I think against Spain too, it's a lot of the centre-backs for the opposition forced to just pass to each other because Morocco aren't letting them up the pitch. And yeah, yeah like I say, I think there's, like, there's no space between players to to play. And then mm. on the break, they're great. Um, yeah, the two midfielders, Unahi was, was brilliant in this game. The central midfielder who plays in France, You've got you know, Hakimi um, as one of the wing bats. Atitaya Allah came into the team, I think, for this one. Um, or Atiyat Allah came into the team because yeah, Majrawi was... assist. Yeah, Majrawi yeah. was injured. And I thought in the first half hour, he looked like the most dangerous player on the pitch, mm, you know, getting brilliant. forward at, from left back. Um, and then the, probably the two standout players going forward have, have been Ziyech and Buffal, who just can create something out of nothing as well. So, you know... That, well, they're defensively brilliant and, and really well organised and they're keeping all these clean sheets against top teams but they've got two really creative wide players two wing backs who get forward as well and the entire midfield is you know I think good at both ends of the pitch so it's I don't think they're just a, I don't think they're a negative team I think they're mm. defensive and defensively solid but I wouldn't say that they're like boring to watch or anything like that mm. No I don't think so and also it's one of those they seem to be a very smart team because why would you go all out attack against Portugal, Spain, and now France when you're, you know, man for man, probably not the better side? So I, I agree. I, I appreciate seeing it. And Amrabat's actually another one of those ones who seems to be, I reckon, his post-tournament transfer might be quite a big team. He was linked with yeah. a few. He was linked really heavily with Spurs in January. Um, Tottenham, Fiorentina in talks, and obviously they, you know, went for Bentancur in the end instead. Who's also been brilliant for Spurs. But I remember thinking at the time there wasn't enough to suggest maybe a top four player or a Champions League level player. Um, and then all of a sudden, I've seen Man United and Barcelona linked to the last few days. <laughs> Do you see that happening, Dan? The power of the World Cup. Yeah. Maybe, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I saw that Spurs one sort of emerge again the other day, yeah. Mm. Um, yeah, he looks good. I mean, it's... I, I don't know. I, what I enjoy about him and what I enjoy about this Morocco team as a whole is their kind of desire as well. Like, you know, they, yeah. they play like their lives depend on it. And, you know, the, the coach has been there for, what, three months or something. They're just so well organised considering he's not had that much time to work with them. There's all this wholesome stuff going on with their mums coming onto the pitch at the end. Oh, is that Bufal's mum, was it? I think all of the mums are there. Yeah, at one I think stage. Yeah. I love Hakimi's mum there. Yeah. yeah, the previous round, there were loads of pictures of Hakimi, right, celebrating after with his mum and then Bufal brought his mum on the pitch the other day. Yeah, yeah. So, and it's not been, um, you know, uh, the most feel good World Cup ever, has it? Let's, let's. I think that's fair to say. But this yeah. is like a nice feel good story of the World Cup. And yeah. I've seen a bit of debate online over the weekend about people uh, saying, "Do you want these underdog stories to kind of happen at the World Cup, or would you rather have the bigger traditional historic rivalries taking place?" And like, I'm in two minds about it. Sometimes, I'll, you know, I think oh, I probably would be more excited about an Argentina Portugal semi final. But at the same time, let's see what. Morocco could do. Let's see if they can fuck some more people up in the next yeah. round. It's uh, it's going to be interesting. Yeah, we could definitely swear on this podcast, by the way. Yeah, that's... yeah. yeah. That's, <laughs> Morocco that's not fucking people anymore. up in the next round. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
Dan, I did want to ask you as well, actually, we're moving back onto the refereeing topic, about Pepe and Bruno complaining after the game uh, that it was refereed, officiated by Argentinians, um, who I would (laughs) actually, let's get this out of the way, not all of Argentina love Messi for as great as he is. I know he does get quite a bit of abuse back home, but presumably they are Messi fans. Um, Is that sort of playing a factor or do you think that's a bit of sour grapes? That famous Argentine... Portuguese rivalry that yeah that doesn't exist basically yeah <laughs> um, yeah I mean what, what was the implication there that Pepe was saying that they were trying to make sure that Argentina would win the World Cup by knocking Portugal out and giving them Morocco I think Morocco will give Argentina a better game than Portugal probably would have done in the, in the next round mm. you know I think you know Portugal were, were, were well beaten deservedly beaten here created basically nothing um, the, the subs that Santos made just didn't sort of change the game. I think he, I think he panicked and put Ronaldo on a bit too early, really. Yeah. When and Ronaldo just didn't do anything really. I I thought Rafael Leal was the player to yeah. kind of beat people and take people on and and open up this game of it for Portugal. And yeah, like you say, Ronaldo came on earlier for some reason and and then didn't really do anything. Yeah, that was a bit of a panic. We need a goal. I'll give him as much time as possible because it was only like the fifty-first minute or something that Ronaldo came on, but it was quite early. Um, I I was thinking there was, it kind of lent itself to a lot of talk about conspiracies, if you want to use that word, <laughs> about the fact that Qatar or the Qataris or whoever really wanted Messi to win it. Um, and that basically, if Messi wins it, it's very iconic, right? To, to sort of crown off the GOAT's career, this, that, and the other. And that picture of Messi holding the World Cup with Argentina, with you know, Qatar in the background or with the Qatari logo or World Cup 2022, whatever is kind of the thinking behind it in this conspiracy, that is. Yeah, because nobody would have talked about it if Cristiano Ronaldo had won the World Cup. Yeah, 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 exactly. But I mean, Messi's flavour of the month compared to Ronaldo, right? Even though both of them were pretty... Pretty He's disrespectful. Messi, Messi, like the best player on the planet for 15 years, flavour of the month. <laughs> I, 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 I meant in terms of what Ronaldo's been doing the last month, you know, when you compare the two. And I'll be honest, Messi was disrespectful as shit to the referees, the other coaches, to other players at the other day. Ronaldo would have got a lot of shit for doing that. I'm not a fanboy of either. I'm not picking sides. <laughs> I'm just saying that. That was quite a big thing. So yeah, well, Ronaldo was so determined to win the World Cup that apparently he thought about flying home before the Switzerland game, didn't he? Yeah. After uh, yeah. someone, someone told him that he was being a bit of a dickhead and should stop doing so. Yeah, so. <laughs> well, talking of Ronaldo, um, it looks as though he hasn't said it officially that he might retire. I think we're past the point now where Ronaldo says, I'm fit and available, and Portugal go, oh my God, amazing. You're the best player of all time. We need you in the squad, regardless of how old you are. To the point where even if, and it's not out of the realms of possibility, Ronaldo turns around and says, in, you know, for the Euros, I'm 39, but I'm fitter than ever. Portugal would go, you know what, mate? You've had your time. We're better off without you. Um, does he retire, do you think, Lewis? And if so, what do you make of his international career on the whole? I, th- I think he retires the same way that he really wants to play his club football in Saudi Arabia. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, if Cristiano Ronaldo retires, it's because he knows that he's not going to start every game for Portugal anymore and he would rather it be his decision than, than someone yeah. else's, I think. Like, I, I don't think Cristiano Ronaldo willingly steps away from competing at the highest level, uh, your club or international level. Um, I think Cristiano Ronaldo steps away because he's sort of 
to save face, if you like. Mm. He, and and for Portugal, I think it's he's not going to he, if he's not going to start games. We've already seen Dan just said, you know, the after before after the Switzerland game. Um, if he's not going to start games, is it worth having him? If he's going to cause you know trouble, if he's going to be wanting to start and kicking up a bit of a fuss, which you know we we saw last week, all of the talk before this game was about that. Um, I'm sure Fernando Santos also brought Ronaldo on because he felt under pressure because Portugal were losing. And mm. if you lose and go out the World Cup and only give Cristiano Ronaldo 20 minutes, then that's all anyone's going to talk about. Yeah, uh, you know he he gave Cristiano Ronaldo long enough to destroy the argument that if he'd have given Cristiano Ronaldo longer, Portugal would have gone through. Uh, his international career, I mean, is is obviously stellar. Uh, the number of goals he scored, the length of time at the top, it's you know, pretty much more or less unique. Portugal, have, he wasn't on the pitch for, for the vast majority of that Euro 2016 final, but he was pretty much coaching them from the from the touchline. Mm-hmm. You know, it's their, the only major trophy the nation's ever won. Obviously, he, like with everything else in his, his entire club career, he goes down in history as one of the greats. Well, he's he equaled the um, all-time men's international caps record in this game. So it'd be pretty cruel if they didn't give them one more chance to break that record now. If they were like, right, that's it, you never play for Portugal again and, and you'll just um, forever be the equal to the record. Do, do you think, like, I can imagine maybe their next home game or something, like if he's if he wants to retire anyway, I think, and I think that's a decision that suits sort of everybody now, but you can imagine them doing a sort of international version of a testimonial, right? Like, mm. you know, fill, fill a stadium in, in Lisbon and get everybody there just to and make it a big like Cristiano Ronaldo thank you farewell kind yeah. of match you know uh, that would make a lot of sense to me mm. yeah. then, then he, and he doesn't start refuses to attend <laughs> 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 after all of that uh, right let's move on to the final quarter final which I you know I came into work today thinking I don't know if I'm ready to talk about this yet but for the sake of content let's do it uh, Dan are you as gutted as I clearly still am not really, to be honest, because I kind ah. of envisaged, <laughs> envisaged all along that England would get knocked out at the quarterfinal stage by France. What was, I guess, a little bit gutting, a little bit disappointing about it was that England played really well on the night and mm. perhaps deserved to draw the game in normal time. And, you know, who knows whether they would have then gone on to win the game in extra time on penalties or whatever, or, or probably might have still got knocked out. Who knows? Um, so it does feel a little bit like, uh, not a missed opportunity, just like, oh, we, we came so close to, to actually you know, overturning a really good side and um, played well on the night and have no real regrets, really. I think the only regret I would say was maybe the fact that Southgate took Saka off a little bit too early. I think he was just kind of throwing everything at it at that point, wasn't he? But Saka was England's best player on the night for me and was creating loads of problems, causing loads of havoc. And I just thought it was a bit, bit strange to take him off when he did. But yeah, overall, I think you say England gave, gave as good as they got, were beaten by a better team ultimately. And Southgate sort of silenced a few critics over the course of the tournament. What, what do you think about Southgate, Lewis? I think he he takes a lot of the blame for that. I always found with the substitutions, they seem to be very random. Like he he just thought, I've got loads of attackers, I'll just throw some of them on. There wasn't like a specific order that he thought could change the game. I don't know. Like, I mean, Mason Mount came on and then won that penalty, didn't he? So mm. like, you know, if you've got to give some credit where it's just, I don't see Jordan mm. Henderson making that sort of run into the box uh, being being the most the furthest player forward and and drawing that contact in the area, so yeah, some credit for that. I I personally I thought this I think this is the best ninety minute performance England have had in a major tournament under Gareth Southgate. 
England have made it to a, a, Euro, a World Cup semi-final. They've made it to a Euros final. I don't think England have ever played as well in any of those runs um, mm. or previously in this World Cup as they did on Saturday night. Um, and, I, and I think it's a little bit sort of what we were talking about Brazil, Croatia before. It becomes, for a lot of people, it can become, oh, but England got knocked out, so we have to point the finger somewhere or you have to... you know nitpick you have to find 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 out what went wrong and what went wrong is that England played against a really good team and missed the penalty like yeah, it, yeah it, I think sometimes it's maybe it's harder to take sometimes than just losing 4-0 and being battered because then you can sort of you have people to blame and you can say this went wrong this went wrong this needs to change there's not I didn't watch that game and think that much needs to change I I don't think Gareth Southgate personally uh, over the past two tournaments has done a fantastic job. I, I think England, you know, with the opponents they've knocked out of these tournaments, I think it's been pretty much par for the course. Uh, you know, the the group for for the last World Cup, and the England team was a lot worse four years ago. So, you know, don't get me wrong, but the group for the last World Cup was probably the easiest England have ever had in in a tournament. Um, and then to knock out Colombia and Sweden to get to you know, Colombia on penalties and then to knock out Sweden. Like there was no like dominant performance for me. This wasn't, mm. you know, like, there wasn't ever something that said to me that England were the best team in the world. Um, you know, the way that we France have gone that far and won World Cups. I think in the Euros, um, the Yogi Loves Germany was sort of the only, again, the only big team that England beat, if you like, and were I mean, dreadful. They scraped through the group um, thanks to a draw at home against Hungary in the last minute. Uh, they were really poor. Love, they'd already been knocked out the, the group stage of the previous World Cup. It was it was the last thing before um, Love was gone in charge of the national team for very obvious reasons. And the you know then the other games against Ukraine and, and at home at Wembley against Denmark, I, I just don't think England have... That would be my thing, my criticism uh, is that, that every time in these tournaments they've come up against a good side, I think they've lost. But I mm. think the the performance the other day was better than in the Euro 2000, uh, 2020, Euro 2000, Jesus, um, <laughs> the, the Euro 2020 final. I thought the performance was better than that. Um, and I thought the performance was better than the, the World Cup semi-final four years ago as well. And England just happened to play the world champions and, and miss a penalty. You can't really get away with it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Dan, did France ride their luck then a little bit to get through or is it considered know-how in the business? Uh, a little bit, I guess. I mean, they scored, they scored the brilliant goal from Chouameni and then um, I thought England were the better team in the first half and a lot of people, I mean, I think with fans, with England fans, and I'm guilty of this myself, you know, with my own team and stuff, there's always like a silver bullet, isn't it? There's always like, oh, if we just put this player on, everything will change, our fortunes will change and it seems like a lot of people were like, get Rashford's on. Rashford scored a few goals in the in the earlier in the tournament. Get him on, he'll sort it out. And you know he came on and couldn't couldn't turn turn the tide in the end. But like, yeah, I, I felt like England were just throughout the tournament quite consistent. And this was a decent performance. Like this was like Lewis said, you know, probably the best they've played in a major tournament since Southgate's been there. You know, even going further back than that, you'd say it was very good. So I thought France, you know, they had the. The goal, the first goal and the Giroud goal and then the big Giroud chance just before the second goal as well. Yeah. They didn't create an awful lot. They weren't superb on the night, but you know, Mbappe v Walker was uh, you know, I think Walker won that won that battle overall, or you know, the, the players around him helped him snuff Mbappe out. Mbappe didn't do an awful lot. But just France have so much quality and they have, you know, a strike like Olivia Giroud who could just get in front of Maguire and get that goal. 
that was the difference on the night. And uh, yeah, I think, you know, France are probably the best team I've seen at this World Cup. Um, certainly now that Brazil are out and I, I would probably mm. back them to go on and win it. And I think if England have lost another tournament to the eventual winners, then you have to say that's uh, that's not too bad, really. And uh, uh, finally on that one, Lewis, talking about the penalty, what do you make of everyone saying that they face each other at club level and 10 years training and this, that and the other, Lloris and Kane? Is it that deep or did he just miss a penalty? No, it wasn't a problem with the first one, was it? Yeah, um, that's what I thought. <laughs> I did enjoy, by the way, the first one. Uh, well, I think Kane was standing there with the ball in his hands or he just put the ball on the spot or whatever. And Mbappe went up and said something to Lloris and it was a bit like, what tips do you think you have for the guy who <laughs> has played with Harry Kane for 10 years and yeah. faces his penalties in training? Like, what what does Kylian Mbappe think? I'm sure it was just some sort of mind games and, and trying to delay yeah. taking the penalty for as long as possible. But um, it did make me laugh. Uh, yeah, I... I think that maybe instead of him being up against the club teammate, the the psychological question I guess I have is I I never feel good about anyone taking two penalties in one game. Yeah, yeah. Think, you know, and it's that question: Oh, do you go the same way? What's the is the keeper gonna sort of guess you're gonna do the same as the first penalty? Like everyone always talks about the psychol the psychology of penalties, and I think it's hard enough as it is without also throwing that into the mix. Um, <laughs> at the same time. Harry Kane had to take the penalty, didn't he? If someone else had taken that penalty... Yeah, least, I'd be mad. <laughs> everyone would be why on earth did Harry Kane not take that penalty? It made yeah. no sense. So, yeah, I, yeah, I, I, I think it's unfortunate. Um, you know, maybe he was in his head a little bit about, about the pressure and whether or not mm. he should go in the same corner as the first one. But ultimately, I just think two good teams both played well and they they can't both win. It becomes a bit of a coin yeah. toss. And yeah. Like that was that was that's how I'd sum it up. Probably is they couldn't both win, yeah. and they both played pretty well. And whoever lost, you'd say they were maybe a little bit unfortunate. I think the Wait. Kane penalty that the first one was so good that he yeah. had to make this, the next one even better. He's like, well, I can't really go the same way again, so I'm going to have to sort of roof the net this one. Go, you know, here it's hard as I can make it impossible to save, and that was the problem. This he was a victim of his own success with the first one, really. I, I always think that as well. We saw it, funnily enough, against Frankfurt in the Champions League. Kane had two penalties and absolutely blazed the second one over. Um, <laughs> I was there a few years ago, top of the place, Southampton. He did the same thing, it almost cleared St. Mary's. Um, I think the psychology of it, you're exactly right, Lewis, is on a second penalty. It completely is because the first one, I think Jose Mourinho said that Kane practices every single week where he's going to put the penalty on a Saturday. He practices over and over again, but he practices for one. Yeah. So, you know, he he does the first one perfectly. And I think from what I saw, and believe me, I watched a lot of replays of that penalty. <laughs> he, as as his Harry Kane's penalty sort of, uh, what's the word? Process. Reverting to type almost. His Harry Kane's baseline penalty is hard top left. We've seen it a million times. That's and the, his... f- the first one was, Dan's yeah. right, the first one was like perfect. I exactly. Don't, I don't think and that's savable. That's his, that's Kane's go-to if he's feeling, I don't know, a bit nervous or he doesn't want to try it down the middle. He doesn't want to try something different. His, his go-to penalty is a top left. And I think he probably thought, you know what, when I do these and when I nail them and they fly in top left, it doesn't matter who's in goal, it doesn't matter how well he knows me, if he's my best mate or he's a rival, it's still going in. And I think he tried to hit it too hard. He tried to make it more spectacular. He tried to hit it far too hard. Um, and yeah, you could obviously, 
that landed in Saudi Arabia or wherever's close. He by. didn't even do the David Beckham and blame it on the turf, did he? Yeah, I yeah, know. He did the, the little he turn and look just... down to the spot. Yeah, <laughs> he, he did the classic shirt in the mouth, like yeah. shit, shit. I thought Lloris had a really good game, by the way. I've never been a, a massive fan of Hugo Lloris, but I thought he made some really good saves there. One in the second half in yeah. Bellingham, in particular, was oh my god, yeah. yeah. Well, that's Lloris's game reflexes, but then you see yeah. when he's pressured with a ball at his feet, he absolutely slices it out of touch. Yeah. Lloris is a World Cup winner's, potentially double World Cup winner's footballing game compared to his goalkeeping game. The disparity is <laughs> enormous for such a good goalkeeper to be such a bad footballer. Maybe Spurs could do with Lovakovic. Who knows? Yeah. Um, and lastly, actually, we mentioned uh, Saka earlier on a little bit. I want to get your thought on this, Lewis, as a, as a closing thing before we get up to some predictions. I was tweeting that Saka drives me nuts because I think he's such a phenomenal footballer do you think, or is this just in my head, he needs to be more arrogant? I would love to see him be really Mbappe levels of arrogant to think, I'm the fucking nuts and I'm going to win this for England. He almost seems a bit too nice, or is that just a bit a bit off the mark? Uh, I don't know. I, like, he's, like He's still a kid, firstly. like He's, yeah. he's still yeah, 20 years old. I, I thought he had a great, uh, like, like Dan, I thought he was England's best player. Um, I think he's their best player in the tournament, to be honest. Yeah, I was going to say, like, I think yeah. coming into this tournament, Saka was maybe one of the players that you'd look at people's 11s and he's maybe one of those where people were looking, oh, should Rashford start? Should should Foden start? Should, you know, Sterling's obviously been great for England for years. Um, I think, you know, everybody flies home now and, and Saka flies home as one of the first names on the team sheet for England. Yeah. I, I think oh. he'll, from now on, he, he is England's right winger. Um and and no one's going to take that place away from him for a long time, uh, I'd imagine. I, I thought, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I I personally, and I think this game was eye-opening maybe for non-Arsenal fans because Arsenal fans all season have been complaining that he just gets kicked from pillar to post and doesn't get the fouls. Uh, and, and I thought the same happened on Saturday night. He, he didn't really get the, he got the penalty, which I think the ref didn't have much of a choice, but to give yeah. it. But I think there were, there were four or five fouls, like pr- pretty obvious fouls that he just, weren't given um and and I wonder you know a little bit with his game he if he wants or needs a little bit more protection from refs just to mm. to, to kick on maybe to to another level even from the way that he's been playing this season because it's almost every time he gets into some sort of stride someone takes his legs away there was a I saw a, a reminder if you like because it's obviously not been Premier League football for for a month or so now I saw a reminder on on Saturday night that Bukayo Saka has been booked three times this season in the Premier League and players have been booked once for fouling <laughs> Bukayo Saka which is absolutely like, oh absurd I, I'm pretty sure two of his three one of his yellow cards were came at Southampton for diving when he's when his ankle was clipped uh one of the yellow cards came at Stamford Bridge when um, Mark Cucurella took him out and a foul wasn't given and he chased after him and kicked him and then got booked to sort of in retaliation uh, so you know I think this is a recurring theme and I think before at his age the way that we that he's playing and the way that we've seen him play this season is is unbelievable mm. and before we see him kick on to to eat another level yet i think he needs more more a bit more help and a bit more protection mm. because mm. you know and and massive credit to him as well i think this is an amazing tournament you know you said maybe england's best player in the entire tournament mm. that off the back of what happened at, at the euros and the way yeah, that he's yeah. just responded to that, he's Arsenal's penalty taker now. And, you know it's the, the the mentality that the kid has to just strive mm. for more and more. 
I don't, you know, injuries aside, and, and you never know what's going to happen with with anyone with injuries. But he's not someone that I think will will ever look back on and say that they didn't live up to their potential. I think he'll squeeze, yeah. if, you know, as long as his body allows him to. I think he'll squeeze every little bit of talent he's got out of him. Yeah, um, and, yeah and, and as an Arsenal fan, obviously, I hope so as well. But yeah, I, I agree. I thought he was had a really great tournament, and I don't know that sort of Mbappe level. I I would see him as more of like a provider than someone who maybe takes takes the game off the you know themselves mm. think of sort of Mbappe I guess you compare Saka maybe you know Bale when he had that explosive 18 months at Spurs and then started scoring pretty much every week yeah I, th- I see Saka as maybe a bit more of a, a player who joins in with the rest of the team rather than than grabbing the team and carrying them but he's got the ability to I think become pretty much whatever he wants yeah. That is exactly what I saw, two sides of him. Maybe maybe me saying he should be more arrogant is a bit wider the mark, but there was times in the first half he was one-on-one and you thought, oh my gosh, this is every winger's dream. Be one-on-one, get at the fullback. And he just sort of didn't bother taking on Hernandez, who's a good and extraordinarily quick defender, let's not rule that out, and passed it back to Henderson. And I was like, for God's sakes, Bakaya, like, take him on, do is something. That, it's, it's that Mikel Arteta, Pep Guardiola school, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah. But like, then like, the you, penalty you, was you brilliant. You do it, but you, but you don't do it every single time. Yeah. Like, because it's difficult. you might give the ball away. It's difficult for him, though, because he's not, you know, the the biggest, most muscular guy. He's not got that kind of explosive pace, really. Mm. He's, he's a bit more of a sort of intricate player, really, which is, uh, it makes it difficult to, to sort of take on fullbacks and stuff. That's a bit of a dying art now, isn't it? For that reason, you, you see a lot more fullbacks like that who cut inside onto their stronger foot now. And uh, what, what impressed me about Saka is that he just kept wanting the ball in this game and, and was always open to it, was always keeping it, keeping things ticking over, drawing fouls. And as, as a point of comparison, like, a performance that I was quite disappointed with on a personal level in this game was Phil Foden. I was really hoping that he would like step up and, you know, I'm in no doubt about what a quality player Foden is, but he's a couple of years older than Saka. And I don't think he's really sort of shown his best performance in an England shirt yet, really. Um, he shows it quite a lot for City, but but for England, he's not had that, that sort of moment yet, really. And I was hoping this game would be it. And he was pretty anonymous on the night. So, yeah, I think if you're going to compare the two, I think you would say that mm-hmm. Saka could really come out of this game with his uh, reputation hands, whereas Foden perhaps not so much. His, like, I, I just, you know, I was mentioning earlier when we talk about Brazil, it's, it's quite difficult to, you know, bring in stars from different teams. That is exactly the thought I had. I thought Foden without his City crew around him, maybe not as good. Maybe that's a bit reactive. But Saka, once Saka came inside, the penalty was perfect. I think the link up with Kane and Bellingham, it might have been for the penalty. Yeah, they were 1-2 with Bellingham, yeah. Yeah, I, I just thought, it looked to me, that is exactly what I see Saka doing on the highlights every week at Arsenal. Like, it's the exact same thing. The movement, the passing, he's not, it's not a very, like, explosive get-to-the-byline kind of winger. Um, and yeah, I just thought he was absolutely brilliant. But, I don't know. Maybe it's just something in my head. I would, I would love to see Saka so only, ballsy. Only a Tottenham fan that would walk away from Saturday and go, "Oh, Bakayo Saka could have done a bit more." No, no, no. I'm not saying he could have done a bit more. I just think in general, there's, there's, you know, they always talk about the top. Like, we, we, I know I'm talking about Messi, Ronaldo, and Mbappe, Neymar. They have this sort of single-minded arrogance to them, where they're so, yeah, they're all very selfish, I guess. And sometimes in Saka, I think. Because I think he's got all the tools could he, to be Could he be a bit more selfish? Yeah. If, if, if Saka wasn't such a nice bloke or was more of a dickhead, you know, I'm wondering whether he could... Yeah, that's just kind of what crosses my mind. Because when you see him in full flow, 
you see obviously see it way more with Arsenal because um, there's way more club games and international games. But when you see him in full flow, you think, Jesus Christ, this kid's 19, 20. Like, he's ridiculous how good he is. I, I want him to be more of a twat, basically, because I think <laughs> that could maybe, I, I'm not saying it's right. He maybe could be, he could be instead of the sideshow, he could be the show, like the showstopper, the 150 million pound man. But I think we should knows. be encouraging more nice young men in football. Personally. Yeah, that's true. Actually, we should probably be saying <laughs> good on you, Bakai, for being a nice bloke instead yeah. of a twat. Um, right. So that leaves us with Argentina versus Croatia and Morocco against France uh, in the semi-finals Tuesday and Wednesday night. Um, We'll go to Argentina first, actually. I, I just remembered, actually, earlier on that they lost 3-0 to Croatia. I completely forgot about that game in <laughs> 2018 because Argentina looked shot. Uh, Lewis, how do you see this one going on Tuesday? Uh, I, I find this I find this really, really difficult to to call. Like, I, I agree with Dan that I don't think Argentina have looked, as a team, particularly great. Um, but they have... You know, one obvious name, but he's not the only one. There are a few players who can can win you a game. I think they, I mean, Messi. He only needs to to turn up for ten minutes, and the game can be you know completely taken out of the opposition's grasp until Leandro Paredes decides to boot a ball at the opposition bench <laughs> and, and, and bring I them back that. into it. I love that so um, much. <laughs> yeah, like I think I, I think Portugal <laughs> fear of sounding like cliche. I wonder if they want it too much. Um, a little bit you mean Uh, Argentina not Portugal sorry yeah Argentina like I do I do fear that that that's what that meltdown was against the Netherlands like they realised how close they were and they they were just a bit desperate to get it over Mm. the line Um, I think they've looked a lot better the last few games since Enzo Fernandez has been starting in midfield I think that's been a big big improvement in the side and and since Julian Alvarez has taken Lataro Martinez's place up front as well I think he he links really really nicely with Messi um I I've I reckon I've got Argentina doing this just because Croatia haven't convinced me um I, I I think Croatia won't get the the time of day in midfield to just pop the ball around those three midfielders and lull you into submission mm. and defensively I don't know if there's quite enough if Messi and, and Alvarez and you know, Rodrigo de Paul has been had a good tournament as well. And if a few of those players, Messi in particular, are on song, then I'm not sure they'll have enough to keep Argentina quiet. And Dan? Yeah, I'm not expecting a particularly entertaining game here. I think Croatia <laughs> are going to try and take it down to the gutter and Argentina are probably, mm. probably going to struggle to break through. I could see it being nil-nil, going to extra time, maybe going to penalties. To be honest, I hope that Croatia don't penalty shoot out the way to the final because it would just make a bit of a mockery of the whole thing. Yeah. But it would, it would also be quite funny. So um, I'll say Argentina on penalties. That's exactly all, what all the got. way to yeah. a, a yeah. second World Cup final in a row, having won yeah. one knockout match. <laughs> I saw that they've won one knockout game in ninety minutes. Uh, they haven't won one since nineteen ninety eight, beating Germany three 0 Right, on, on yeah, I mean, yeah, it was what la- last time around was it was a penalty shootout, a penalty shootout, and then England in extra time, yeah. and now again penalty shootout, penalty shootout, and Argentina in the semi-final is so to get to two World Cup finals in a row without winning a game in ninety minutes would just be gobsmacking. Has the game gone? Uh, no. <laughs> we don't long, want to lose penalty long ago. I don't want to lose penalty shootouts though because I love them so much. I love the drama that I just would never get rid of them. Um, Morocco 
Can they do the unthinkable, Dan, against France, or are France too strong? I think France will probably just have a little bit too much, but I think this will be a really entertaining, fascinating game. I think, mm. you know, Morocco are gonna are gonna go all out and you know put everything on the line, leave everything on that on that pitch. It's going to be great to see. In a way, I kind of wish that it was Morocco versus Argentina in the semi-finals because I think that would be a better game. And Argentina mm. and France v Croatia, a replay of the the 2018 final. So yeah, I think France will just have just about have enough quality, but I think it's going to be really close. Lewis, yeah, I worry a bit for Morocco's defense. Um, you know, they're like they've defensively they've been brilliant, but they've lost players. They lost Masraoui to to injury. Roman mm. Saiz that was uh, the other day, and yeah. and um, I who it was now, but, yeah. but the, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. So, uh, West Ham's um, Nef Aguard didn't play um, against Portugal as well. And I feel like you can one or two, and you can slot somebody in 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 such an organized mm. system and get away with it. You lose a third defender, and and you've sort of got. Uh, Hakimi, the attack-minded right back, and then three of the backup defenders alongside mm. him. I, I just think that would be if if none of those players are available, a step too far. Um, yeah, I, I don't think defensively Hakimi can do the job that Kyle Walker did brilliantly mm. against Kylian Mbappe either. But I do also think he could hurt France going the other way, uh, and, and if they try and release him in the way that England didn't with Kyle Walker because they were focusing on Mbappe. Um, Mbappe's not going to track Hakimi back and you've got maybe the best attacking right back in the world then sort of free to do as he pleases yeah. <laughs> as, the, as, the, as the winger doesn't come back and track him. So um, I think Morocco have what it takes to, to hurt France and to restrict them as well if everybody's fully fit. But with, I, I just think it's probably too many injuries at the back and France have a bit too much quality. Well, if we're peddling the Lloris versus Kane rhetoric, then uh, Hakimi's going to know everything that Mbappe does like, in training. <laughs> so he's just going to stop him every time. <laughs> That's going to be it. Uh, right, in that case, you've gone, and I as well, I think France are going to edge it 2-1, I'm going for. Uh, we've got a France versus Argentina final then on Sunday. Do you think that's fair over the course of the tournament for those two in the final? Deserved? Football's not fair, Matt. Get over it. <laughs> Well, if you remember when we did our two best teams, our predictions yeah. before the tournament, we ended up with a, uh, a France Brazil final. So I, I uh, had Argentina to, I had Argentina to win the tournament and was overruled as well. Oh, that's true. <laughs> really, I had Brazil. I remember I was yeah. peddling Brazil. I think you most people probably had Brazil, Argentina, France as you know any two from the top three. Yeah. So this yeah. maybe in, maybe in pre World Cup predictions, this is pretty normal. <laughs> Um, but we don't want normal. We want to see a surprise thrown in there. Um, You've got Morocco in a semi-final, Matt. Yeah, 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 true. In the final, I mean, Morocco in the final, by the way. First African team to get to a semi-final, by the way. So, so how good would it be if they got to the final as I'm well? I'm going to Marrakesh next year. I'm spending <laughs> all my money there. I'm just... Thank you for a great tournament. It's been unbelievable. <laughs> uh, right, those, of course, are Tuesday and Wednesday night for the semi-final. Oh, we didn't talk about third, fourth place playoff. Boring. Oh. We'll talk about that later <laughs> in the week. Uh, Dan, we'll, we'll come back at the end of the week and yes. discuss the semi-finals, right? We will, yeah. Yeah, discuss semi-finals. We'll preview the final as well, whoever that may be. Uh, in the meantime, you can, of course, tweet us at OneFootball um, or you can email us at uh, podcast at onefootball.com. No app before that, by the way. You can email <laughs> us at podcast at onefootball.com <laughs> um, with all your thoughts about the quarters the semis the finals moving forward and everything else we'd love to hear your questions but from me and myself uh, Dan and Lewis um, that's all from us for today and we will see you next time